Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, my friends. Today's episode is has a lot to do with emotional eating and also how we can shift our mindset around emotional eating and also how we can incorporate different intuitive practices into the way that we eat. So I'm actually pulling a clip from a Q&A session that I did with the last round of the Carb Compatibility Project. And um, we do live coaching once a week where I show up and I answer all of your questions. And I also like to focus on big overarching concepts and themes that come up as we navigate the program together. And that changes from, I mean, the, the live coaching is really, that it, it is subject to what people are going through at the time of the program. So it changes with each and every program. And I thought that this, this, this conversation that we were having, it made sense to share it on a bigger platform. So whether or not you do the carb compatibility project, I think that this is really important um, concepts to hear and to think about in your own life and in your own eating approach. Uh, The Carb Compatibility Project is a four-week nutrition plan that I created, and it has a lot to do with blood sugar regulation. So we do utilize low-carb principles. But how low-carb you go is really up to your body. And part of the program is helping you access that intuition, access that innate with uh, wisdom where I might be the author- an, an authority on nutrition just because I've been studying this for 15 years and been in practice for 10 years, right? So totally. But what I always want to drive home to folks is the idea that you're the authority on your body. And that is something that I come back to time and time and time again. I've been running group nutrition programs for a, a close to a decade now. And that is the overarching theme is, sure, here's a template. Here's a here's a framework to work within because that's helpful and we need that. But how do you access your own body's messages within that framework? And so I'm talking a little bit about that in this clip today. And I would love for you to join us in the next Carb Compatibility Project. We officially start Monday, May 3rd. And like I said, it's four weeks. It's really supportive of overall gut health, of liver health. Um, it's it's a pretty well-designed food plan, if I do say so myself. <laughs> of course, we're focusing on metabolic health and insulin signaling and blood sugar regulation, all of that. Um, but I've kind of, 
I've, I've talked in recent months about the downsides, the negative sides of a low carbohydrate approach or something like a low FODMAP, the, the, the uh, potential negative effects it can have on the microbiome because we're pulling out variety. Variety is so huge. Getting a wide variety of plant fibers is is really important from a microbiome standpoint, a gut microbiome standpoint. And so I designed that uh, this program with that in mind. So making sure you're getting lots of variety. What um, some other folks have also enjoyed is using Organifi products as a way to get that variety in. So we talk a lot about uh, polyphenols and getting different colors and in different species into our diet. And the Organifi powders is a, a, a wonderful way to do that. They're a show sponsor. We love them. Head over to their website, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk. You get to save 20% off. And all of those, if you do, if you are on a low carb diet, if you are mindful of blood sugar regulation or just mindful of sugar intake, Every, um, all of their powders are under three grams of sugar per serving. So that is really helpful from a blood sugar regulating standpoint. And uh, we also want to shout out our other show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is my probiotic of choice. Everybody's always asking me, what's my favorite probiotic? And I got to shout out BioCult because they're doing really good. Uh, they, they, they're, they're the individual strains that they're using in their in their um, products, they do their own research on. And I have an entire booklet that the company sent me of all of the clinical studies that they've done uh, for their probiotics. So, you know, obviously research is the weight of my heart. I love, I love that. And so um, I'm just really proud of the, um, of the, the work that they're doing and in regards to uh, creating pretty awesome probiotics. So I was just talking about gut health you can't fix your gut by taking a probiotic, unfortunately, but you can absolutely have powerful impact while you're taking them. So check those out. And uh, without much further ado, here's my thoughts on uh, emotional eating. Um, first, let's talk about perfectionism. So you saw my, I'm not going to talk about like specific you know, like my, my philosophy on counting carbs because I did a mini video on that yesterday, but I do want to address Perfectionists make perfect quitters. Have you ever heard that term before? I, when I first heard that, I was like, it me. I couldn't relate any more strongly. I call myself a recovering perfectionist because it's something that I've had to like beat out of myself, essentially. Um, when you have perfectionistic tendencies, and a lot of us women do, we are like so focused on doing everything 100% that if we can't do it 100%, we throw in the towel and we're like, we're out. Because the thought of not doing something perfectly stresses us out so much that we just don't even do it at all. And I can't even tell you how many times this has manifested in my life. Um, I found, I realized that what I was doing to myself is like, I just kept setting the bar higher and higher and higher for myself. And once I like hit hit like the ceiling, I would, you know, set another bar and anything less than that would feel like failing. Like I literally, if I wasn't breaking uh, grading curves in school, I felt like I was failing. 
you know, and we just do these really, really self-destructive things to ourselves. So I've been, I chatted with a few of you who are feeling like those perfectionist tendencies were kind of taking, taking over here. And what I want to share with you is that if you do this program 25%, you're going to get more out of it than if you do it 0%. And what happens when we go in gangbusters right out of the gate, we're like, we're doing all the things, we're doing it 100%, then like after a week or two weeks, we bail, right? So I would rather see you just take different snippets from this program and put the, you know, implement them into your life than to try to like swallow it all whole. There's a ton of resources and information here. And what I did is I went through and I labeled everything as either core or bonus. The core stuff of the program is what I want you to focus on. The bonus is stuff is just there for you if you want it. If you want to tinker around. I know I've got a lot of nutrition nerds here. If you want to dive into different topics, it's there for you. If you don't, you don't have to not a requisite part of the program. Okay, so hopefully that kind of soothes you down a little bit there. If you need it, leave it alone if you don't. Okay. Um, I also want to talk about emotional eating because that came up a little bit. And I want to ask a question to you and, and I want you to think about where in your life or when in your life, a moment or moments or different times where you gave your heart to somebody and they dropped it, where you sort of exposed the deepest part of yourself and it wasn't met with, with what you were hoping for. Um, where you exposed your loving, you gave your loving to somebody and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't meant well, um, in those moments. And we all have them in those moments. We learn that being ourselves isn't safe. Showing my heart, showing my true self is not safe. It's not safe for me. And when we feel that being ourself is not safe, that is a very challenging way to live. So what we do is we build out other safety structures in our life. And many of us do this through alcohol. We can do it through drugs. We can do it through food. Food is an easy one, right? Cause it's there. We're doing it anyway and we need it. And so I want you to really think about where has food or the opposite restriction and avoidance of food, where has that provided safety for you in your life? This is a big question. It might take you some time to noodle around with it. I'll give you, it's a little esoteric, right? So I'll give you a real world example of, of myself. I had a very um, uh, rocky childhood. There was a lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of change. There was alcohol. Um, there was a lot of power struggles that I witnessed and I didn't feel like I had much control over my life, over where we lived, over who we were with, um, over what I saw, what I was exposed to. And so when you feel like you don't have control, that's, that doesn't feel very safe, right? That's not a safe environment. So we create our own structures of safety. And how I did that is by restricting my food source and micromanaging my body in my exercise. That was one way that I could feel like I had some semblance of control in my life. Okay. So 
yes, it was a it was restriction and it was binging and it was purging and it was all of that. And also it was a way that I could provide myself safety. And so when we're talking about emotional eating, whether it's overeating or undereating, we've really historically been told that this is sort of our fatal flaw or it's because we're not disciplined enough or it's something really bad and really wrong and something that we have to fix. And if we could potentially attempt to shift that paradigm a little bit and understand it for what it really was, it was a way that we were trying to keep ourselves safe. It was a way that we were compassionate with ourselves. We were showing ourselves love, maybe even without realizing it, right? And how amazing is that? That we loved ourselves, like that, that core deep part of ourselves enough to try to provide some comfort. That's pretty awesome, right? And I just kind of want you to sit in the residence of that. How does that feel? That To me, that feels really good. We were maybe a little under-resourced, right? We didn't have the tools and the skill sets that we maybe now can learn. So we used what we had. We used what we knew. And that's okay. And now maybe, now we can start to explore other tools, other ways to provide safety, other ways to self-source that safety and understand that it comes from here. It comes from within. But we can't do that if we're still in the old paradigm of I am bad for emotional eating. We have to understand where it came from and what beliefs led to that. And I really want you to think about that over the next four weeks. Where did food or food issues provide safety for you? And maybe just like a, hey, thanks for that. Thanks for that. You know, thanks for throwing me a freaking bone, right? Um, this this self-compassion piece, I haven't found one thing, one condition that self-compassion can't help heal, right? Um, and that includes food. And that includes how um, our relationship to food and our relationship to our bodies. So self-compassion, the way that I think about it is just really like sitting with ourselves through struggle, sitting with our, ourselves through a hard thing. For a lot of you right now, this feels like a challenge. This feels like a struggle. This feels like a, you know, like a, like a hard thing. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so how can you sit with yourself during this time where it feels really hard? It feels really hard. It's a big change. You're taking on a lot. Uh, the, the best way that I could describe it is um, speaking to moms or caretakers, or even if you've ever babysat a little kid, how would you handle them if they were struggling, right? Um, the best example that I can give, and if you did your hormone revival last round, you'll have heard this story because it happened this fall. My family, my husband, my daughter, and I went apple picking and Hattie fell out of a tree, which sounds very dramatic. Um, the tree was like, she was on a branch that was like yay high and she just slid down and landed on her feet. Scott and I were right there. We saw the whole thing, didn't think anything of it. She scraped the side of her belly and she freaked out and she like couldn't self-regulate on the entire 30 minute drive home. 
when I was like, what's going on with her? Like I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. She doesn't react this way. Um, so we, we built a bonfire when we got home because that's like her favorite thing, bundle up and go outside for a fire. She like couldn't, she had no interest in it. I'm like, you know what? Why don't we go lay in my bed? Like, why don't we just go lay down in my bed? And we just laid there. And I said, you know, I noticed that you've been really upset since you fell out of that tree. And as soon as I said that, I could just like see this like big emotion wash over her and she started hysterically sobbing. And I was like, that must have been really scary, huh? And she like lost it and just like wailed. She's six years old, by the way, to give some context in case you don't know, and just like wailed, 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 wailed. And I just sat, sat there and held her and I didn't really say much. I just like rubbed her back and held her. And then she like exhaled it all out and she fell asleep and she slept for two hours. This kid, mind you, has not napped since she was two years old. And I was like, holy shit. I mean, I talk about this stuff. I teach about this stuff. I believe this stuff. But to see it like in real time, her like she, that registered as like a little trauma. She was very scared and it, she couldn't move it out of her body until I gave her the space to do, do that and sat with her and nurtured her through that. Okay. That's what we can do for ourselves. We may not have had the parents to do that for us. Or we might not have the support team or structure built out in our lives right now to, for somebody else to do that for us, but we can self-source and we can do that for ourselves. And that is, in my eyes, what self-compassion is. And we can bring it to every single area of our life, including how we approach food, okay? One more thing I want to say before we get into the questions is if you're, I want to like help to break the like the, the dichotomous thinking, the black and white thinking, this is good, this is bad, keto is good, no, keto is bad. Like let's use sugar, for example, because we do a lot of sugar talk in, the, in, this, in this program. There are different camps where people are like, sugar is addictive, sugar is like cocaine, like freaking out, like, like you're so scared to eat sugar. And then there's another camp, you know, like the anti-diet, intuitive eating, haze camp that is like, sugar is fine. Sugar, there's nothing wrong with sugar. Sugar is peachy keen jelly bean, right? And so there's this truth, and then there's this truth, and you can do it with anything, right? You can do it with keto, you can do it with intermittent fasting, you can do it with grains, you can do it with legumes, like anything. Pick your fucking poison, you can do it. There's, there is a camp for and there is a camp against. So like we, there's two truths. And you're, I'm like, neither of those truths really work for me. So what's my truth? Cause I can't really hold this. Sugar isn't addictive for me. I don't feel addicted to sugar. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, if I eat a little bit, I don't need more. Some people are really like that though. Some people, they eat a little bit of sugar and it snowballs, but I'm also like sugar isn't fine because if I eat some sugar, I feel really trashy. Like my joints hurt. I get a little bit more um, like inflamed brain foggy. I don't really do well with sugar. So where's my truth? And that's what we have to do. We have to like make space to figure out our truth. If I'm hooking into this camp saying sugar is addictive, you might as well just do blow rails off the back of a toilet in some bar. It's the same thing. Same thing as eating a candy cane. Or if I hooked into this truth, which is sugar is absolutely fine, I wouldn't have space to figure out, but like how does my body react to sugar, right? And that's the problem with dogma in nutrition is that there's like, it's almost like religiosity where it is like, this is the one truth. And if you don't swallow this truth 
whole, then you're cast out. There's no space for gray area. There's no space for conversation. There's no space for maybes. It is this way or it's the highway. Get it packing, girl. And so that's a lot. I think that's kind of the culture that a lot of us came up in. So it's no wonder why we think that way, right? Um, I, I tend to be like a little tough love and I like take jabs and I tease people. And it's just kind of like my jam. It's my approach. But there's a reason that you think the way you do, okay? It's not you. You're not flawed. It's not a fault of yours. It's because we all grew up, you know, in this like really bonkers food culture. So um, what I want you to think about when we're, um, when we're thinking about, is this appropriate for me? Whether it's choosing to eat a certain gram of car uh, amount of carbohydrates, or it's, you know, do I eat grains or not? What I want you to do is I want you to think about, does this make me feel expansive? Do I feel expansive when I think about this or do I feel contraction? And now if you're not used to kind of like checking in with your body, um, for me, expansion usually feels like this, like kind of like my shoulders draw back, my chest opens up. I almost feel like the energy field around my body widens out a little bit. I feel kind of like fresh and open and excited. Uh, contraction, I, it's like this. I feel like tight and restricted inside in my body. Maybe a little bellyache, uh, a feeling like an elephant is sitting, sitting on my chest or my throat. And so whenever you're approaching something, think about that. That is your body's way of telling you, this is a good choice for me now. And hey, that can change. That can change too. We're always checking in. There is no right or wrong. It's, it's really more about your unique response and what is, what is right for you. And that is really self-sourced, okay? So kind of come back to that expansion or contraction, right? As we navigate the weeks and I'm like, hey, pull carbs out of your lunch and you're like, I'm feeling contracted. I'm not gonna do that, right? Really think about it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And when we're talking about the whole, I'm talking about all of this stuff now because, hey, I'm trying to get you in touch with your body and your intuition. The jig is up. That's what I'm trying to do. Okay. We cannot, everybody like intuitive eating is like the holy grail. Intuitive eating doesn't, doesn't work for some folks. It didn't work for me when I was in the throes of the eating disorder because I didn't trust myself. How can we listen to our intuition if we don't trust ourselves? We can't. We can't. We have to learn that. We have to work that muscle. We have to figure that out. We don't just flip on a switch when we enter the kitchen and we're like, my intuition is on. No, this is something that we're working all of the time. 13 years ago, I started, I started studying clairvoyance, which is like energy reading. You can call it like, I don't know. I just say it's like intuit, intuitive medicine, um, psychic abilities, all that kind of stuff. That is when I healed my relationship to food. I took the focus off food and I started paying attention to what my body's reacting to and responding to and what is my intuition guiding me to. That's how I had to do it. That's how I had to heal my relationship to myself and then I healed my relationship to food, okay? So I really encourage you to practice all of these little things. Just one, you know, hook into one thing that I'm saying. You don't have to do all of the things, but really think about all of these different practices, okay? So with that said, let's get into the questions. Wow, wow, wow.
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.